Fastest Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, Facebook blocks COVID truther protests and the next big problem with healthcare. But first, oil breaks the internet. So if you were brave enough yesterday to venture onto social media, you probably saw a bunch of jokes about oil prices, which isn't the sort of thing you usually see on social media outside of a very small subset of energy reporters and policy wonks. The reason? Oil futures dipped below zero yesterday, $38 below zero, prompting all the jokes like how people would gladly help out some Oklahoma wildcatters by storing their oil, you know, for $38 per barrel. Why it matters, though, is that this is anything but funny to America's massive energy industry, which is simply creating supply for which there isn't enough demand. We don't really fly or drive much anymore, and all sorts of manufacturing is slowed. Plus, the regular seasonal lessening of heating oil needs is in play, and oil companies are becoming something akin to makers of VCRs and pagers. Now, for context, the U.S. energy sector at this moment is the smallest of the S&P 1500's 11 major sectors, worth less than real estate or utilities. And the only theoretical silver lining in this, the idea of going to the gas station and being paid to fill up your tank, well, that's apparently not going to become reality either due to the other layers of costs that get included, like refinement and transportation state taxes. So how did we get here and where do we go next? For that, I'm pleased to be joined by Axios Energy reporter Ben Geeman. So, Ben, let's start with what happened yesterday and help me out here. If oil prices are technically negative, how does that work practically? I take oil out of the ground and what, pay somebody else to take it from me? Well, a lot of the people who are involved in these negative oil prices, this was the futures market. So a lot of the people involved in this trading neither produce oil nor ever take delivery of oil. But a lot of them are, of course, speculative traders in one capacity or another. But because of coronavirus, for very tragic reasons, we've had this unprecedented collapse in global oil demand. Some analysts see it on the order of a third of global demand has been wiped out because obviously nobody's or very few people are driving, flying. Why does that matter for oil? Essentially, what's happening is that storage capacity is filling up extremely quickly in some locations more than others. And one of the places that's the uh, one of the biggest problems is in the U.S., specifically at some of the main storage locations in the Cushing, Oklahoma area. Okay, so what started to happen yesterday is as the trading period for the May delivery contract for oil futures started to get close to expires today, you had a lot of kind of very frenzied efforts to unload these delivery contracts. And eventually, because there's so much unwanted oil sloshing around in the market at this point, yes, prices went negative. So what that means was that traders, you know, many of them speculative traders, some of them people in the physical industry, actually had to pay people to take these contracts off their hands. So it was just a wild historic day. So, you know, prices were falling all day. And around midday, they were in the single digits. And then they kept going, going, going down. And then, you know, in the early mid-afternoon, they fell below zero. And then amazingly, kept falling. So at one point, they were at negative 40. The last time I checked, oil prices have soared all the way back up to about a dollar or two dollars per barrel at this point for, for the final day of the futures contract. So it's a really crazy route, unprecedented route. Ben, President Trump during his press conference yesterday talked about the speculative trader piece of this and really seemed to suggest these are kind of paper losses or this is a paper problem. Is it also a physical world, real world problem? It is. It's both. So, OK, so Trump is half right. So, you know, when you're right up at the end of a month's delivery contract, 
for a futures contract, you start to see some kind of wonky and weird stuff happening. And that was certainly true times a thousand yesterday, right? So some of this was simply traders and markets sort of in a essentially in a panic. You can almost kind of think trading places, trying to offload these contracts and eventually doing whatever they could to get rid of them. But that said, this is indicative of real physical and actual tumult in this industry. Okay. So Ben, at this point, given what's happening with the delivery contracts, if I am an oil producer, I'm an extractor in Oklahoma or North Dakota right now, does it make sense for me to still be pulling stuff out of the ground? If for no other reason, there's nowhere really to store it. Yeah, this is a very complicated question. So it's kind of pick your poison, right? So there's pain industry-wide for a lot of reasons. But look, even sort of, you know, the next month's delivery contracts, we're seeing those prices in free fall. We're seeing other prices in free fall. The global benchmark Brent crude is dropping and dropping and dropping today as well. So the problem with shutting down production, and that is starting to happen, we are going to see some really major production declines in the U.S., is if it doesn't happen in a somewhat phased and orderly way, it can create real problems, right? So because shutting in a well can often damage the well and make it much more difficult to sort of restart it in the future. So oftentimes, no, it doesn't necessarily pay to be producing, but there's jeopardy from the way that you kind of curtail that production. Really kind of dire circumstance one way or the other. Ben, final question for you, which goes back to the supply issue. Saudi Arabia has got, I guess, like something like 50 million barrels of oil on the way to the United States right now, a lot of it going to its own refinery or refinery it mostly owns in Texas. Given that we're getting more supply coming in and we're not expecting a major demand surge anytime soon, is this a problem that is only going to get worse before it gets better? And if so, does that put more pressure on Congress and the president to bail out the U.S. oil industry? The answers are yes and yes. In fact, you had President Trump tweet just this morning that he's instructed the Treasury Department and the Energy Department to come up with some type of new plan to aid U.S. producers. Now, there are not a lot of good options out there. And, you know, yeah, things are going to get worse before they get better because most analysts see April and May as the biggest months for this incredible demand destruction. Now, OPEC, Russia, and some other countries are going to begin curtailing their production starting in May by a quite significant amount. And other countries, including the U.S., are going to see these declines in their production, too, do more to market forces. So to some extent, that is going to temper the problem. But look, you're going to see bankruptcies. You're already seeing a lot of layoffs. There's no avoiding this pain. It can be tempered, but it cannot be avoided. Ben Geeman, who writes the daily Axios Generate newsletter, which you can get at signup.axios.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. My final two right after this. Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Facebook, which decided to take down event listings for a bunch of those coronavirus protests. Now, specifically, Facebook only removed event information for protests that had planned to flout social distancing rules, calling it, quote, harmful misinformation, and allowed stand protests that simply focused on government policy. But it's an uncomfortable situation for a company that does not like stepping into free speech debates, let alone ones that have somehow become so partisan. As Axios' Scott Rosenberg reports, quote, Facebook has invested time and money to create an independent content oversight board that's supposed to help it deal with thorny speech issues. This one might make a good maiden case for its docket. 
And finally today, Bloomberg reports that giant healthcare staffing firm Envision Health is beginning to consider a bankruptcy filing, although a source close to the situation tells me no such filing is imminent. The top line here is that Envision is struggling to service its debt after being taken private less than two years ago by private equity firm KKR. But the underlying story is that this reflects a cash crunch that is being felt by all sorts of medical groups due to sharp drops in everything from elective surgeries to regular ER visits to preventative care appointments. Not to mention the big question of when patients will return to the clinics and hospitals, even after the economy is so-called reopened. Now, we have all talked a lot, both on this podcast and kind of among friends, about which restaurants and stores may stay shuttered forever. But don't be surprised if that conversation also soon expands to your local doctor's office and medical facility. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Chocolate Covered Cashew Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.